From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. Welcome everybody to another edition of The Groundsman, this time coming to you live. What could possibly go wrong, I wonder? What could possibly Joining me go wrong? to find out exactly what can go wrong are my two co-hosts, as always. Roger Mitchell up there in, in my le- top left-hand corner and Giles Morgan. Welcome, gents. Nice Hello. to see you. I'm, I'm super pleased. How are we doing? Good. Well, I'm good. Giles less so. Um, he, he's a her- heroic effort to actually get here today. Uh, tell us what happened, Giles. What happened to well, you? Well, it is a it, it, it is a heroic effort. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna claim that because I live this this room I'm in is on the third floor, which obviously means quite a lot of stairs. And uh, unfortunately, on Friday, I snapped my uh, my Achilles tendon um, trying to steal third base, and that's not <laughs> a euphemism, by the way. I really did, and um, unfortunately, my athletic prowess let me down, predictably perhaps. But um, I'm uh, now the proud owner of a cast and a, and a snapped Achilles tendon, which is really boring. Um, I was going to try and cry off, but I couldn't let you down, boys. I've got to say, Joe, the, the big surprise there is not the fact that you've hurt yourself in an athletic endeavour, but that you don't already have a stand of stair lift. You've had to climb up the stairs. I figured at your age you already had one of those. In. Is it not working? <laughs> yeah, there's been terrible electricity shorts ever since the flooding in London. So, yeah, the stander doesn't work. So I had to crawl up, literally, on my hands and knees. So, um it's all right getting here. It'll be getting down. It might be a problem, but I'll, I'll let you. Know. I, I, sh- I should say. I should say at this point that uh, other stair lifts are possibly available. I have no <laughs> idea. I have no idea. Anyway, listen, gents. Um, there's a bunch of stuff to talk about. Yeah. But before we get to it, there's the, the the most pressing, I think, sports story of the week that I wanted to get your thoughts on. Before we get into some of the minutiae and the trivial things that've been going on, and that is the fine handed down to the Norwegian women's beach volleyball team. Did you see this? I did. I got into a little bit of a hot water about that. I, yes. <laughs> well, what a surprise. <laughs> what a surprise. Now, for those that hadn't seen the story, um, in this day and age, I am staggered that this is actually a story, but somehow it is. The International Beach Volleyball Federation, or whatever their acronym correctly is, have fined the women's Norwegian beach volleyball team for wearing shorts instead of bikini bottoms in uh in a match um seems seems a little outdated to me and a little a little close to the wind in this day and age rog we're live what do you think about that <laughs> well well i mean listen uh, it does hark back to the old days of set blatter doesn't it and saying well you know women's football should stop complaining all they need to do is just wear shorter shorts and they'll get all the engagement they need um that was a while ago uh, so yeah i mean i think that the point is have we not moved on since then uh, and and um, listen, the, the reason, I mean, I, I had a, a lovely little chat with, you know, one of my favourite younger um, uh, colleagues in the sports industry, Andy Marston, um, you know, and he's obviously rightly saying that a, a governing body shouldn't be acting in any way like that. And I was pointing out that that's true, but still these days there's so many of the, the women athletes that are still marketing themselves in a similar way you know if you look at a lot of the 
the ads or a lot of the clips or a lot of the, you know, even just the attitude, a lot of them are, you know, they do clips of themselves and the first 30 seconds focus on their lower half and the next 10 seconds, at, you know, at chest level and then finally they get to their face. Um, and, and the point being, that's all very well, that's a personal choice, but a governing body these days can't be... <laughs> And, and it's true, it just can't, it doesn't make any sense. But, you know, at the end of the day, in terms of marketing, uh, these kind of things work, sex sales. Uh, there's no two ways about that, yeah. Grant. Well, uh, well listen, to, as someone who's got an awful lot of sex to sell, Charles Morgan. Mate, what, uh, <laughs> what, shame there are no buyers. What, um, <laughs> what, what's caught your eye this week? Well, you know, having been a sort of... Um, Maybe not a naysayer of the Olympics. I think, like most people, I love the Olympics, but um, felt ashamed for me that it was happening at all, given everything that's going on in the world. But having snapped this bloody Achilles tendon, I've now got 16 days where I... <laughs> right. <laughs> in a certain amount of pain, it is absolutely joyful. And, and, and certainly in the UK, for the British listeners or people who follow the Team GB, today's been an amazing day. And for me, the big story actually was to watch... Not even young Tom Daly, because I think he's sort of 26 now, 27, at his fourth games, which just ages all yeah. of us, to finally win gold and to do it to beat the Chinese who have been his nemesis and have been dominant in the sport since really the turn of the millennium. It was just, I have to admit, boys, I shed a tear. There you go. I actually shed a tear for, for, for Tom and everything he's been through and his story has obviously been very well documented and all of the things, highs and lows he's been through. But for his career now to be defined by a, a gold medal, I think was a brilliant Olympic story and it was lovely to see. Well, well let's, let's stay on the Olympics because it's obviously it's the biggest show in town right now. What do we think? Because it, we were divided on the show a few months ago about whether it would actually go ahead. There were literally uh, articles coming out several days before from the organisers saying that they were still thought, thinking about an 11th hour cancellation of the Games. They've had all kinds of COVID problems. I mean, it's been beset by woes. The competition starts and obviously you kind of know going in that once the Games have actually started and the focus will be on the athletes, thankfully. But look, I mean, I haven't watched any of it yet. I've not watched any. I've, I've followed the headlines. I've seen the big stories but I haven't watched any of it and I don't feel drawn. There's something about that kind of competition without crowds. You know, the swimming meets, which are always fantastic at the beginning of, the, of every Olympic Games, in you know, virtually empty pools. There's something hollow about it for me. Giles, what, what, what are your thoughts as you've watched it? Well, you're right. There, there are, and actually a lot of the Olympic sports relatively um, aren't always played in front of huge crowds, particularly in the early stages, um, less so in London, where everything was sold out all those years ago. But the Olympics, particularly with some of those sports, which would be inverted commas, be minority, if they are then behind, you know, with no fans at all, they do seem a little superfluous. However, and I think this is the point about why the Olympics matters and it's not about... For the athletes, they've got to get on, get on and do the best they can. It's mm. not their fault that, uh, that COVID happened. It's not their fault that the IOC in Tokyo couldn't sort this out. It's not their fault. They're not the Blazers. They're just the honest competitors doing their bet. So I hope that what we'll see is records broken and that at least we can celebrate the athleticism with that view for next time. And thank God it's going to be Paris as the next Olympic Games in 2024. As you know, the French I know are already looking to really shake down the sports, the kind of inclusion that's going to happen. 
you'd pick Paris as a city to rekindle the Olympic flame. Yeah. But now, having been an naysayer and really been quite appalled that it was happening in a kind of whatever my viewpoints were, is I'm right behind it now. And, you know, seeing Adam Peaty win, British swimmer who, who nailed the 100 metres um, breaststroke today, I just got very jingoistic and proud again, even though I think you're right. I suspect the TV audiences globally will be way down and a lot of people are saying it just doesn't feel the same and it feels a bit flat. But do you know what? Every single athlete who's made it to their Olympic team from whatever country in the world, you know, so much strength to them because it's the the achievement of, of their lifetime. Yeah, I mean, the, sto- the stories coming out are still just fantastic and, and very unique to the Olympics. Some of these stories that you, that you kind of read about these athletes that come out of nowhere, you know, the, the refugee who beat Jade Jones the other day yeah. and the, the Tunisian swimmer, and it's extraordinary. Rog, what, what have you found this week as you watched it? Or not, as the case may be? Well, like you, I haven't. And I think it's unfortunate that, you know, it, the time zone doesn't help it. And that's going to probably uh, exacerbate a lot of the people saying, you know, two or three weeks ago, as you say, Grant, I, I was kind of saying like, you know, yeah, but it's about the athletes. And I agree with what you said there. I think these stories, you know, the the, the Somalia boxer, I think she actually lives in London. Just an amazing story, that girl. Um, and, and, you know, my reflection is this a little bit, Grant. You know, it's been covered by what I would call corporate talk over the last couple of months, yeah. broadcasters, sponsors, the city of Tokyo, you know, getting their money back. It's all been a little bit tacky, you know, and, and I think in many ways, all these big corporate people with big budgets have missed a trick. Because when you do see the stories of these athletes, and there are all over the place, these stories, you know, the the, the young Italian guy that, that from the South, very poor family, won a Taekwondo gold medal. You know, the story is truly amazing. And we are in the, the, the world now of storytelling. And I think a lot of these sponsors and broadcasters, but especially sponsors, have maybe missed a wee trick and, 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 and not kind of like shifted their focus away and got behind, you know, a more direct and personal kind of like um, storytelling around these athletes. Because frankly, that's what the, the Olympics is about now. And I think it's going to be about that yeah. going forward. And, well, and, th- and isn't that, int- sorry, Rog, isn't that interesting that you say that? You, you've seen the end of bidding in terms of how it used to be about cities having to spend hundreds of millions of dollars trying to bid for the Olympics that's now stopped pretty much and now Brisbane's been awarded I think in in 32 they're ahead of themselves and I think the IOC like so many other walks of life has been handed a big fat lesson because of Covid which is what does the Olympics stand for it's a celebration of humanity it is actually about the world sports day and I don't mean that belittlingly at all it's a celebration of humble athletes doing the best they can and you're right that for many of the sponsors many of the kind of experts inverted commas who talk passionately about the power of the games let alone the absolute absurdity of 150 odd blazeratis we all saw the john coates thing i'm I'm certain that the sort of self-importance of the olympics is actually the, the importance of the olympics is about the how humble the athletes are and how hard they strive to, to get to their Everest, to get to their pinnacle. And that's why we celebrate it. And it's why that certain sports, we struggle for them to be at the Olympics, like football, I would say, for one. Yeah. I'd say tennis. I'm, I'm not having a go at any of them. But if your sport 
the Olympics represents the pinnacle, then we, the public, identify with it. We identify that moment in every Olympiad, in the, in the quadrennial, as it's called, and we can get behind it, whatever the sport. And I'm hoping, this is why I'm excited about the, the French in particular, because Los Angeles will do it their way, we all know. Brisbane is a very down-to-earth city, and they'll do it very much in the, the spirit of sport, that maybe we'll be seeing a shift to what the Olympics perhaps always... Well, should have been. You're, you're right, Giles, but hang on a minute. About three, four months ago, I think this podcast was one of the first to start putting on the table what was the IOC model actually sustainable um, and was it actually holding back sports because it kind of like chained them to a once every four years existence. And yes, they were beautiful. It is beautiful when you see these stories now, but for uh, the rest of those four years, they are absolutely in anonymity. I think, like I said a second ago, I think the smart broadcasters and the smart sponsors will begin to follow this narrative all the way around. I don't know how they'll do it. Editorially, it's tough. But the beauty, especially in 2021, and we live in the world of Marcus Rashford and everything like that, I think there is a theme here, which is make it less, less corporate and try and get behind these people and their stories 365 days a year. That's what I would like to see. Well, and Rog, it's really interesting you saying that because one of the, the areas, as you know, I'm involved now with, with, with helping sponsors again in, in various iterations. And one of the things you see with big blue chip corporations all over the world is that they're really focusing on what's called ESG, of their, of their environmental, their social governance, and their, what used to be called CSR. They'll always find a new acronym. Yeah, yeah. But corporations are trying to sell their soul and their values and their vision to the public, particularly financial services, as you'd expect, but professional services, but actually all corporations. Isn't it interesting that sport's always been a very, very strong um, lightning conductor? People love to do sport, but the Olympics actually offers the best way to speak in real language of real people, of real humanity. Globally. And, and globally, and rather than sort of doing sort of endless hyperbole that big corporations with big budgets with big advertising agencies creating big box office content actually we i hope we'll see because it comes back to back to old baron de coubertin and all of those visions he had 120 odd years ago that's what we all why we do bleed and we do suddenly care about archery because in our nation state we're doing well in archery which we never else would do yeah. so i think you're right there's some lessons here We've got plenty of other subjects to cover. Before we go, there was a great question there from Jay LeBleu asking why is it that the IOC doesn't capture these narratives? Giles, this is one for you, I'm sure. What What, what is the failure there? Because John Courts might be as a, a fan. Answer. John Courts yeah, might be a yeah, right, answer. Maybe. But you're right, as a fan, we, we just lap these stories up. So surely this is not difficult for the sponsors or the IOC to, to say, well, here's how we engage people. Well, I think London gave a blueprint of what the people, and I mean just the, 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 the people who came to London from all over the world as a great global city as London is, and the spirit of the games was encapsulated. I think, unfortunately, if you are based in a, in a certain canton in Switzerland and you live by the lake and the lake is very beautiful and very rich, and you live in a world of, uh, there's quite a lot of uh, genuflection and a lot of people coming to the altar. 
is that you believe that the altar is more important than the people well said, or something well like said. that. So yeah. I feel, funnily enough, that often the organising committees who put on the games have a much better read of what the games is about in their country more than the IOC does. And the good governing, uh, the good um, organising committees, Yokogs as they're called, when they're great games, it's because that governing body has just understood it yeah, I think the IOC, unfortunately, I mean, it's done lots of good things. Gosh, the fact we have the Olympics, we can't knock it all. But if you start looking at how the cities used to get voted, how things are done, decisions are made, you wouldn't start now if you were inventing it tomorrow. And yeah, it feels yeah. to me that, that it answer your question is people get caught up in hyperbole. And I think if I were Coca-Cola or one of the great great traditional sponsors of the game i began we in 24 have got a wonderful opportunity to bring humanity back to our brand via the yep. most humanity of all the sporting events in the world yeah. the, yep. the humble simple olympic games and i would say to all of them just go and watch chariots of fire if you want to know what it's all about because yeah. in a so funny kind of way the vangelis theme tune gets you going before anything else happened yeah yeah, I, I, uh, for, for you, back. I thought it was just yeah. men in men, men in vests and white shorts. <laughs> but Roger, you, you, you're another person who lives by a lake, but you're not as out of touch as the IOC. Well, so, what what have you been looking at this week apart from the Olympics? There's a lot of similar themes here, and, and you know, I'd like to go through two or three versions of this um, feel rouge, if, if you will. I believe that the theme of the power moving to the athletes is still not appreciated enough. You know, I read um, a tweet from one of the people that follow us is that um, they were saying that everything that's happening in American sport and the changes in the NCAA and in the general move to celebrity and superstardom, that's going to start dictating uh, where franchises are held and which cities they move to. We've seen this a little bit in soccer, Grant, where, you know, London and Paris have had a huge advantage um, over, you know, traditional northern towns because they're just more attractive to live in. Wives are like it more, or husbands with women's mm -hmm. football. And, and, and you know, w what I think is we're going to see is that the power of the athlete is going to dictate much, much more the lives of sport, of clubs, of franchises, of governing bodies. You know, let me give you let, let me give you an example of that. The, the, as I say, I think you can see it if you just dig around a little bit. You see all the little. Uh, I mentioned um, Rock Nation before. They're the agency that um, has taken Marcus Rashford and done such an amazing job with him. You know, he was about to get stitched up by the Spectator this week, and they they, yeah. they headed it off at the pass. But you know, R Rock Nation um, isn't just Marcus Rashford. They've got a whole lot of athletes that they are promoting in a different way now it's not the old school comms we know we all know we know the old traditional agencies that are, are in this marketplace i think they should be very very scared by people like rock nation who by the way now are not just stopping athletes they're now taking an entire sport the new money in this case cvc has brought them in to rebrand pro 14 rugby and if you look at their uh, sizzle reel if you look at um, you know what they're doing in terms of the marketing it just looks completely different and you know all of these things point to the the, the, the same issue which is we really need to change uh, the audiences are different you know you look at something like buzzer you know this is a media company that's not well understood yet this is a media company that in the main is about 
giving you push notifications when really key and crucial stuff is happening in your favorite sports. You know, the fourth quarter is about to take the shot. She's about to, you know, jump the, the high jump for the gold medal. And, and they will, like, proactively buzz you. And, and, you know, that's because the younger audiences want that. And they want celebrity and they want athletes and the athletes are reacting to that and they're getting tooled up with people like Rock Nation. And then you see John Coates sitting there and you know, you know this is my theme and everything, but honestly, every week that passes, I am convinced I'm more and more right. These people are totally going to get run over. And, and you know, that's, that's the thing that, whether you, it's the 100 or everything around this week, that's the thing that struck me. Gen Z and the athletes of the future. Yeah, we'll, we'll get on to the 100, I'm sure, in a second. But it's interesting, that, that idea that, franchises will move to where the star players want to go. I'm not so sure about that. You know, I, I, particularly if you look at what's happened in the NBA recently, right? We've just seen um, the NBA Giannis. champion crown, the Milwaukee the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, Yanis is a remarkable young man, and, I, and I, I'd love to talk about him at length, but we, I think we've probably got too much to cover, so well, we'll no, save that I for think, another day. I think, well, I think it's part of this. But I think it's part of but, it. But, no, but I, I agree with you, but, but my point being, look, here, here is Yanis, a remarkable athlete, and perhaps an even more remarkable young man, yeah. given what I've seen of him. Um, incredibly talented in what was an NBA powerhouse, but 50 years ago, right? It's 50 years since the Milwaukee Bucks have won the NBA century, title, yeah. right? Done nothing recently. Right. Yeah. But that's what we've seen. LeBron James comes out of high school, goes to Cleveland, right? A, a, a nothing sports town. Really. Apologies to Cleveland fans. No, but no, in terms he doesn't of go to Cleveland. Teams, he doesn't go to Cleveland. He's told to go to Cleveland. That's a significant no, no, difference. He, no, he grew up in Cleveland. He went to school in Cleveland. Yeah. He's a Cleveland kid, right? right. But, but he goes to Cleveland. Yeah, then he goes to Miami yeah. and wins a championship. Then he goes back to Cleveland and then he goes to the Lakers and he's been over. But my point being, these, these young athletes, they make their names in the smaller teams and the smaller franchises and then they get the big money move, right? Look at the teams that fell by the wayside of the NBA, the Clippers, the LA Clippers, right? Big star pack team fell away. The uh, Lakers with LeBron James fell away in the, in the playoffs. The Brooklyn Nets with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, these big name players that wanted to play in New York fell away and didn't get it done. And, and it was the smaller franchises that came through, the Phoenix Suns and the, and the yeah. Milwaukee Bucks, and they play in the finals, right? So I don't know that I necessarily agree that the franchise is going to move to where the players want to be. I just think these players, as they as they mature in the league and become bigger presences, they get the move to the big team. I mean, God knows if, if you're a Knicks fan, it's been it's been a long wait. They've had plenty of star players, but you know, New York is supposedly the big market and absent the Yankees and the Giants, there's an awful lot of, of sports teams in and around the New York area that have been starved of any kind of success for decades, not just years. So I'm not sure I agree that the franchises will move. I just I just don't see that happening, I've got to be honest with you. Well, you know, you're, you, it's, it's a good point you make. I, I would just look at the progress of Chelsea Football Club before... As a Fulham fan, I'd rather not, Rog, but okay. I mean, it, it's just London. It's just it's the, it's the attraction of the King's Road. Um, the wife's going to shop in Sloan Square. It's just, it's just as simple as that. People are no different be, uh, as, as superstar athletes than, than a trader or an excellent employee anywhere. You want to work in a nice area where you've got the best schools, where your family's going to be comfortable, and sorry, you know, like Cleveland <laughs> ain't going to cut it. I, I just, I just can't see that, Grant. It's they're going to move to other towns are available. <laughs> we're, we're simply bagging on on Cleveland here. What's wrong with 
Where's wrong with Philadelphia? We can bag Philadelphia, can't we? We can. We could do Nebraska. Or oh, Nottingham. Yeah. Well, <laughs> There's yeah, plenty of places. Yeah, exactly. It's, it, it's all migrating to where the action is. And uh, I think as the athletes have more power, they will dictate that. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Well, let me, let me change the subject and come on to something else this week that's been, that was fantastic to watch and, and had so much of what we all love in sport about it, and that was the Lions test against the, the Springboks. You know, again, such a shame that the, the crowd isn't there because those Lions tours... The crowd is such an immense part of that experience, even for the TV viewer. You know, the sea of red in the most far-fung places in the world is such a, a, an important and colourful addition to the rugby. But, Giles, you're a big rugby man. What a game that was. Well, it was very exciting, as you can probably see behind me. Um, I've, there's a picture of me um, uh, with the Lions in the two tours that HSBC sponsored when I was... Uh, at HSBC and, and, and to be involved with the Lions tour as a sponsor and therefore with the fans was something that I will never forget and no one can take yeah. away from anyone who's been had anything to do with the Lions and South Africa is probably the spiritual home of where the Lions tour best in terms of it was where the first tour was and it's the easiest place for fans to go to and the Sea of Red certainly in Pretoria's second test in 2009 is undoubtedly the greatest game of rugby yeah. I've ever been privileged to be at even though the Lions lost what was joyful was to watch a Lions test despite all of that down in Cape Town wonderful new stadium and it was a test match of uh, once again sort of um, gladiatorial proportions a, a game of two halves certainly that the I, I thought at halftime the Springboks were going to really just polish the uh, the Lions off for a tasty dessert in the second half, but Gatlin did what he did. What was interesting to me as well, though, um, as one watches the games maybe more um, technically, because of the lack of the lack of the fans, you're you're really focused on the sport. Is that there were some pretty interesting decisions yeah. that were made, which were which were critical to yeah. to the success of what turned out to be the Lions, and as we talk about a lot in the show, where there's there are technologies out there in in all of the sports, which some of the um, early stage companies that Roger and I are involved with are very involved with, which would have solved in real time the very um, quandary that endless referee conjecture which slows the game down takes the impetus away when actually in real time you could say that was a forward pass move on blow the whistle and we're off or rather like Hawkeye's done for for Grand Slam tennis even if there is a tiny minuscule discrepancy everybody signs up to the technology which means the technology works and no one argues and it becomes part of the theater and i thought that the lions because you you had a good audience there of tv very very exciting that that, i mean god second test you 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 wouldn't bet against south africa coming back they're getting fitter by the day it becomes the most compelling viewing but my goodness technology could have helped that test match along Maybe not for the Lions, but it swings in roundabouts. So, yeah, I was a pretty good afternoon with a with a bad leg, I have to say. Yeah, yeah. Rog, Rog what did you make of that of that of that test? Um, I didn't see the game. Uh, I did see the highlights. Um, I saw, as always, the way I can. You millennial, you. Yeah, well, uh, there's a lot going on just now. <laughs> always with the highlights. Yeah, always with the highlights, but more importantly, the highlights. You know, and and this is an important point. You know, um, I haven't been watching the Olympics, but, you know, my daughter's been keeping me up to speed. And you know how she's keeping me up to speed? It's filling her TikTok feed. 
you know, the same way the Euros did. Uh, so I just want to say, again, mentioned Buzzer before, but I'm telling you, this is the way people are getting their support now. But the point is, uh, what did I see in my feed when it did come through about the lines? Forward pass, forward pass, this can't happen, forward pass, you know. We, we Soccer's gone through, I would say, the growing pains of VAR. I mean, I always thought rugby was a little bit ahead of the game and all that stuff, but apparently not. It's it's not it's not the easiest thing to fix, I don't think. Yeah, this wasn't their finest hour. A question just popped up there before we move on from the Lions, Giles, about Warren Gatlin. I think it's a, it's a great question. Yeah, from, it's a great uh, question, yeah. From, yeah. from our old mate, Colin. Yeah. Um, well, and I, yeah, what, what do you think? Because he has done a, a remarkable job. Well, I mean, really, he really has. Warren is someone I got to know very well in the first Lions tour I was involved with, which he was also involved with in 2009 when he was the assistant coach to Syrian McGeekin. And he and I bonded over red wine. This man knows red wine. And we agreed then that every few years we'd meet again and try more red wine. Um, since then, he has learned his craft under McGeekin, no doubt at all. Even though they were unsuccessful in South Africa, they, they, they built a, a building block. And to see what Warren's done, I think what he's done with Wales, my team and Ireland before, and has yeah. been astonishing. He is, I think, underrated because he is a very modest and humble Kiwi, not because he's actually underrated by fans. I think people know how good he is. Yeah, He's also done the near uh, impossible, which was to win a series. They didn't. They drew the series against um, New Zealand, but got as close as you can be. But I think before we start writing up the, the, the whatever we write about in, in lights, and he would be the first to say this, is let's see how this series goes. If he wins this series then I think he can be probably looking forward to a trip, I hope, to Buckingham Palace at some point for a, for, for a little gong. Um, he certainly deserves it. And if not, I'd like to take him down to the Hospice de Bone, where he'd become Legion of Honour for, for Burgundy, where he'd be very welcome, I know. I bet. Well, Rog, something yeah. else that um, came across my radar this week, and it involves your neck of the woods, and I'm doing everything I can to steer clear of talking about the Euro 2020 final. But let, let's stick with I Italy. You, I did tell you, Grant. Let's, let, let, let's, stick, let's stick with Italy and, um, and the news this week that you and your next-door neighbours, Saudi Arabia, <laughs> are thinking of uh, coming up with a joint bid for the 2030 World Cup. Now, I saw this, and I'm thinking, yeah, that makes sense. What? What did, what, did you, what did you think of this? It's just, I, I mean, I still can't quite get my head around it. Well, well this, this came across some form of my desk about four months ago when somebody said to me, look, this is, this is boiling under. Um, how do you read it? And, you know, your first reaction is, well, I don't read anything here. This doesn't make any sense. And then, you know, you start reflecting a little bit. And, of course, your reflection takes you to the massive geopolitical power games that are going on in the Middle East between Saudi, in a certain sense, the Emirates, and of course, Qatar, and everything that they're trying to do to out, <laughs> outbid each other, if you will. And Saudi obviously wants part of that. They are doing a lot of the things that Qatar are doing. They're looking to buy football clubs, investing heavily in sport, bringing events there, trying to be the financer of things like the Super League and everything like that. So they bloody want a World Cup, don't they? They Because Qatar have got one. Half a one. They want half a World Cup. Well, well, I mean, like, these days, location is, you see, whatever. You know, it doesn't really matter. As long as you've got some part of it. But they can't do that without the creds of one of uh, Europe's oldest, most traditional countries. But why is that? If Qatar could do it, why can't the Saudis do it? 
Just because it's too, just too close to Qatar? Is that is that no, the gist here? No, it's listen, the, they're, they're not going to bring it back. I'm not going to give a, a, an, an explanation a little bit about, you know, um, Middle East politics, but I think, you know, Khashoggi didn't help. I think uh, they are human rights record is probably less defendable than Qatar's, their involvement with America. I just think there's a, a, a stronger whiff of something that they need to like whitewash or sport wash a little bit. And that's where Italy comes in. You, know, you don't get any, any better as a location as Italy. Uh, obviously, four times World Cup winners. They haven't had a World Cup for many, many years, which has been entirely their fault. They haven't got their head together around Stadia. Years behind uh, the usual difficulty in getting things organised in Italy. But they've got the tradition, they've got the beauty, they've got the passion, they've got Bocelli, you know, everything. It just, it's just the way the world is, Grant. Uh, there's partnerships that happen just because it is real politique. I don't think this will happen. You know, I came across my desk again recently. I don't think it will happen, but you never say never is, is what I would suggest. I mean, apart from money, I don't see any reason why Italy needs a partner for, for a World Cup. It just doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Giles, you were, you were trying to chime in there. Well, I, yeah. I, I guess it just comes back to, you know, the old git that I am is just that purity of sport. And the, uh, the more that Icarus flies too close to the sun, in, in this case, it just feels wrong. And you're right, Italy can do it on their own. And it would be a great, it would be a, a wonderful World Cup if that happened. A bit like we're talking about the French with the Olympics in Paris. It just feels mm. right, will be great. It does feel right. And, and, and then you see, I think, again, coming back to the corporate dollar of, of sponsors, you're then providing corporations with something much more tangible for them to then go and talk to fans about, which then creates more uh, virtuous circle in terms of engagement. I think there is a great danger of World Cups happening in the wrong places in soulless environments is that you lose the essence of what makes it very special. Yeah. And yeah. and that's been the sadness, funnily enough, for me for Japan is it's been made stale, not because of Japan as a country. It's I mean, it's one of the richest cultures on the planet. It and is. the Rugby World Cup, whatever it was two years ago, feels like a thousand years ago, was... Yeah. It just? was astonishing. I was privileged to be there with my friends at CSM who basically gave me 10 days of um, liver trouble. And um, I will never forget it, except I can't remember a thing. <laughs> <laughs> the videos exist. The piano yeah, the piano. yeah, 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 yeah we've all exist. seen that. We've all seen that. Well, look, look we, we, we touched on it earlier on. And Rog, I would, I would probably just give you the edge in who's the biggest cricket fan of the two of you, but uh, the 100 this week, what were your thoughts? Because this is this is right up your street, right? It's the it's the kind of format you've been looking at. It's everything that you think is the future of sport. What did you make of the 100? Well, you know, I, I always try and not repeat what everybody else has said, and it's been such great commentary, both sides of the argument, and, you know, you can take a view that, uh, you know, there's, there's a, a Twitter feed there. You can take a view that... Um, it's horrible, it's, it's ruining the tradition of the game. Uh, or you take the other view that, you know, you're bringing in a new audience. I saw a lot of kids there, obviously the women's game. Uh, it's exciting. You know, as, a, as, a, as somebody that grew up watching the test matches in the summer when I should have been studying for university, yeah. um, I don't like the slog fest. I just don't. I just don't think that's... But, you know, th this is classic for me. You're right to ask me the question because I don't like it. But as in terms of what needs to happen, sadly, 
I think, you know, we've had uh, Tom Harrison of the ECB on on the podcast. And and I think if I was in his shoes and I'd seen what happened at the IPL and the power of, you know, instant gratification, I would have probably done the same. It should be a money spinner and he needs to diversify his revenue streams, as he said on our podcast. You know, so I don't like it, but there's no way I'm going to give anybody a hard time for this grant. Well, just let me add to that, because on uh, on Sunday, um, as I was licking my wounds and my sore leg, it may surprise you to know that, or maybe it won't actually, is I'm a member of the MCC. So I, I went, I, and I, I am a member of MCC, and I took myself off Love to Lords with uh, one of my household, who was, his job was to get pints and push my wheelchair, and I'm not kidding. I got a wheelchair access all the way into the Warner stand, the members stand, and we got there. Did, now, uh, did you did you take advantage of the relaxed dress code for once, Charles? Or did you I, I, I wear, mean, wear the tie and jacket? No, I had I had a t-shirt and some Adidas uh, uh, oh tra- tracky bums on. It was brilliant. Other tracky bums are available. Other tracky bums are available. <laughs> anyway, we we went in there in what ended up being the wheelchair part of the Warner stand, and my friend Milo sat next to me, and he bought me beers. And I have been going to Lords. My dad was a member. I've been going since I was five years old. We lived in in West London, so it was our home ground. And I am as old school cricket man, like Rogers saying. I played a lot. I was the first bowler that people used to say, Giles Morgan, deceptive pace. He's slower than you think. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was my John Arlott, by the way, for the, for those of you with a, with a little keen Hampshire uh, uh, ear. It was very good. However, what I would say to listen, you know, they built a a rock stage up at Lords. They really sorted out the the, the, the speaker system and it was nonstop music and unfortunately nonstop rain. So there was not much. The women got their game through, which was magnificent. Kids everywhere. Lords was turned into a different colour palette. There was real in the pavilion. There were people wearing the egg and bacon tie, but there were also people not. And it felt like such a good occasion to try and open mm-hmm. up this game. And I was so... I remember when I saw some other forms at Lords before, at 2020, in the early days, and I thought, oh, come on, we've got to keep it all in white and sort of ho-hum, keep it old, old school. And the guys, as you say, Tom Harrison, but one of the masterminds, Tony Singh at ECB, have done a brilliant job. Now, it's just the starting opening salvos. They've got to seed this game. It's not there yet, but my goodness, what a great start. And we've got 2020 going on at the same time in England. You've got the 100. You're going to get more people. It's being advertised everywhere. There's terrestrial TV with the BBC, etc. I'm really excited because... One of the things that I'm seeing in cricket in the United Kingdom that is really changing societally is how many girls are playing cricket now in school. Yeah. So rounders is gone, even though that's what I was pretty much playing on Friday. Um, (laughs) Rounders is gone. Cricket is becoming the summer game of boys and particularly girls. And with that seeding of the game of interest of girls genuinely playing at clubs and schools, etc., and formats like the 100 in particular, which is celebrating both you know, the men and the women, they've got a tinderbox moment. They could really, really ignite this sport. And I'm really excited. And do you know what? To see some old duffers as well, people like me, um, getting into the swing of it, uh, it was a good day. What, what did you? What, what about the the crowds? I mean, obviously there were plenty of coverage of all kinds of feral behaviour by the crowds. Now, you know, is that... 
pandemic blow off after being stuck inside for so long or is that potentially a problem for this you think well it's funny i've been to a lot of 2020 both at the oval and at lords and as you'd, you'd expect lords to be a more refined place it is it's like wimbledon and i don't mean the membership it's just it's the sort of place you go through the grace gates you 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 straighten your back there is a respect to the home of cricket so i think on one level lords is a bit more rarefied but what was so lovely that what I saw on Sunday, and I'm going back a few more times in the next few in the next few weeks, um, both at the Oval and in at Lords, is families. I saw a lot of families of mums and dads and the kids coming down and having a proper day out. And because the format is so quick, that the kids are engaged, but there's other stuff going on. I think that what we saw at the Oval. I mean, I've been to many county games at the Oval where some you know, people over exuberant it, it can get quite leery um it's a drinking culture at the oval far more in terms of that yeah and yeah. i think we've come out of the pandemic and i think you know with with the football and all the rest of it but i i don't think it's going to endure i think it was a uh, it's been incredibly hot for england as well people getting a bit kind of hot around the collar i don't, i think this was more of a media one i know there were incidents but I'm a yeah, I'm a yeah. real bull on, on 100, I have to say. I've got hats off to, to Tom and his team. They've, um, in difficult circumstances, it's, it, it won't all be perfect, but I would give them a good 7.5, 8 out of 10 at start, and they've got something to work with. Well, and they had exciting games as well, which always helps, right? I mean, the games are close, and you know, it was, which is great to see. Rog, what else have you got this week? What's on your radar? Uh, well, this week, what really caught my eye was um, the valuations that came out of the MLS. Uh, Sportico, ah, yes. a wonderful publication, um, put uh, valuations beside uh, all the MLS teams, and, and the the most valuable was LAFC, I think about eight hundred million dollars, and that just got me thinking. You know, when you compare it to um, clubs in the UK and in England and Scotland, um, clubs in Europe, uh, significant uh, difference, and you start thinking, well, what's the reason for that? Because we have to think what the reason for that is. And there's a few reasons. One of them is our world grant of um, flow of money over fundamentals. Mm -hmm. I just think these days there's a lot of rich people that, that want to get this kind of trophy asset, but they've been priced out of the NBA and the other France sports because it's just, that's a three billion ticket now, whereas you can still get in for half a billion in MLS. So I think there's a flow of money argument. There's um, There's celebrity and uh, uh, private equity that are getting involved. There's my uh, old chestnut that look how wonderful your valuation goes up when they take away the risk of relegation. Yeah. You know, I keep saying it. How much are we prepared to die in a ditch over relegation because it kills valuations, it kills everything like that. Then I started thinking a wee bit more. You know, I started thinking about Mexico and their passion for football, their demographic growth. You know, the Canadians are doing some good stuff there, so I'm thinking about a, a, a United Americas League. And I'm saying, what would they be missing then to really dominate? Because they would be based around the centre of um, capital uh, in America, whether it was private equity or Silicon Valley. They would be based around the centre of celebrity, whether that is uh, Will Ferrell at LAFC or whether it is Matthew McConaughey at Austin. And, and I know all the trash talk that goes between them. Uh, what would they be missing? And the, re the only answer is players, you know, the yeah, very, very top players. Right, so you just fix that. You know, so I'm just thinking to myself, 
sound like Charlie Nichols here. I'm just sitting here thinking. Um, and I'm just thinking to myself, look, if, if somebody big like, like Amazon or Apple or even Google, i.e. YouTube, said, look, we're just going to really go for this. We're going to, you know, uh, seed the MLS with, you know, $10 billion, whatever it is, you go and hire uh, on contracts and spread them around the teams, the top 30 players in the world. That's it. You own football. And, you know, I can't see what stops that. You know, uh, there are certain big players, media players, I've just mentioned them, that need to get hold of, of, of soccer. They can't because soccer is sold in geographical lines, so you have to buy bits here and bits there, and it's all very unsatisfactory. Just make your bet on the MLS. It's got the right capital structure. It's not got relegation. It's got the celebs. It's got the big finance. It's got the, the cool factor. Just finance to get the players in and I think you become the capital of association football overnight and I can't get this out of my head Grant. See I, I, I'm going to take issue with this Rog. I think what you say makes all the sense in the world and I think it's a it's a very smart blueprint but I was very fortunate to get invited to uh, Atlanta. A, an Atlanta United game and, and we spoke about this a couple of years ago I think on Goal and Goal but so I got a good look behind the scenes and, you know, to see the facilities and what have you. And look, it's top notch. The stadium is absolutely unbelievable. The fans are superb. They've got all the ingredients they need there for this to be huge. And this is Atlanta, which isn't New York or Los Angeles or Chicago, right? But no matter what, the standard of football on display was not good. It's not good enough. Yeah, it'll it'll get better. It'll get better. No, you no, but you can't get it. Just you, buy you the can't. talent. Just no, but Rog, it. no, no. But that's my point, right? Because I, I see what you're saying. You say you buy the best 30 players and you spread them around the league. But, okay. But that's, so you've got one star player at every club. Okay, fine. The other 10 on that team are a long way from being good enough to put around a Lionel Messi. Right. Just, yes, you'll get highlights more. of Messi dribbling around so we're agreeing, five players. We're agreeing it's a money issue. It's just a no, 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 issue. no. Absolutely. Let's I, get I just the think top 130, not the top 30. The top 130. Yeah, it, it's it's that it's bigger task. Bigger. Yeah, it's uh, well, that that's, bigger that's, task. That's, I think. How much money have Apple got in cash on their balance sheet? Yeah, no, no. I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with you. I just, I just, when you talk about it being the the center of the world overnight, it's not. I think it's a bigger project than that, but. I absolutely agree with you, and I've been thinking this myself for years now, that the U.S. should come to dominate soccer. There is no reason that they well, shouldn't Well, you know another way they, they can dominate it overnight? You know, like you've got all the non-English super clubs in Europe. I'm talking about Spain. I'm talking about Italy particularly. Let's just say the Latin ones to make it easier. They were desperately unhappy that the European Super League didn't go ahead. If I was the MLS, I would be saying to them, do you want to join us? You want to yeah. you, you want to play you want to play in our league, and all of a sudden, before you can say Jack uh, Jack Rabbit, European football is number two, and America's football is number one. I'm telling you that is very possible because the people that finance soccer don't like the way it's set up just now. They don't like relegation. They don't like geographical borders. They want to make one make one bid, and sell it globally. And, you know, that's that would be my solution. I would just finance up the MLS, merge with the Mexican League, merge with, with the Canadian League, and just say, how much money do we need to just be undoubtedly number one? It's interesting, right, Roger, because this is the very crux of 
basically everything that you and I have gone backwards and forwards about in the years we've been doing this, this is it, right? In one sport, in one perfectly encapsulated nutshell here, this is, does money ultimately override tradition? And we're talking 100 years of tradition across these various leagues throughout Europe. Is money what it ultimately takes to tear all that up, to tear all the the multi-generational devotion to local football clubs, are they really for sale? I don't know the answer. I, you know what I hope the answer is, but I suspect that you may be right on this one. But we'll see. I suspect it will be much harder than it might be in other sports to, to buy out that loyalty and that tradition in football. Yes, but remember what I said a while ago about the, the move to the power of athletes. 30 years ago, I would have said you're right. You're just not going to shake a Man United supporter. You know, players come and go, it doesn't matter. We're big, nobody's bigger than the club. That was the phrase. Gen Z doesn't care. I know people don't agree with that, but everybody that knows, knows. They follow the athlete and the celeb. Listen, it's show business. That That's the answer to our three-year-long debate, Grant. You talk about a sport of tradition and, you know, Bovril and Pie and you and your dad and going along. I'm talking, it's just show business. It's just show business and money buys show business. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a, I mean, there's another great question here, right? It, it's a fandom issue, right? Soccer just isn't that big a deal in the US. And it isn't, but but I, you know, I do wonder, Rog, if you, I, I think you, the point you make that, you may be able to make it a big deal just by throwing money at it. I get that. But, you know, another comment here, again, from Colin, talking about, you know, you play 10 games and you realise you can't get in the playoffs. There's no jeopardy. Right? There's no relegation. There's no there's no nothing. You're just going to – the rest of the season's dead. And and we all know what will happen is that there will be four or five big clubs in American football who will be the the final four teams every year. And – it's, it's, I mean, I, I totally get what you're saying. I just think that there is hopefully enough tradition in football that it doesn't succumb to money the way a lot of other sports have done. I, I may be completely wrong, but I, I, you, you have to allow me Let's one bit of... Let's hear the captain. Of... Let's hear the captain because he, he, he's got the, the eye of the fresher eye on this. You and I are, are biased a little bit. Well, I'm very torn and I really don't have the answer. And, and you guys are the experts, both as fans and very knowledgeable about football. But the, the question that we had on the, on the Twitter feed to me is interesting, is the concept of the fan and the concept of real fandom and r the real heart and soul. And I wonder if money can buy real fandom in a real sense of crossing time zones in, in terms of really understanding. I take your point, Roger, that the, the celebrity and the athlete as the endorsee is what is driving the new, the new commerce and sport. I get that. But provenance is something that is very deep-seated in human beings. And I, I don't know the answer. It's like I'm going to sit on the fence on this one. Well, well let, let's, let, let's, let's go from the grassroots up. You know, when you say, oh, there's not the fan base or it's not, not the tradition. I, I tend to think that will change. Let's leave the Mexicans aside because football is the thing there. Um, let, let's leave that aside and their demographics are, are strong. Um, we, you're a modern parent. You've got a five-year-old uh, girl and a six-year-old boy. Um, concussion in American football. Nah, I'm not going to let them play that. Basketball, unless you're an athletic freak, that's not really going to do it for you so much going forward. 
baseball. God, I mean, that's so old now. Hey, everybody's playing soccer. It's really cool. It's a social thing. Uh, to Ted Lasso and all of that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, and, and I tell you, before you know it, within half a generation, soccer is the cool kids game. That's how I see it. Well, I, I think it might be cool, but I still think there's a concept. Is It is European fandom that drives the passion of what makes football the passionate global game. So it's Italy. I think that... It's Spain. It's the Brits. It's Germany. It's the way fans that, start with the clubs. That's very old continent biased. I mean, the Mexicans are well, crazy. Well, fine. I, I agree, uh, but I don't, I don't see the... Oh, I yeah, don't, the Argentines, the Uruguayans, yeah, South American yeah, South fans America, are unbelievable. I'll give you that. But I don't see the Canadians being a raucous lot. I'm sorry. <laughs> But a very nice lot. Very nice. Listen, guys, we, we, we've got we've got five minutes left. Um, yeah. We we can't yeah. close Jars without coming back to you and uh, and getting a recap of your day at Silverstone, which uh, which uh, judging from the the videos you you sent us, you 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 were in a great spot, saw all, all kinds of stuff. But um, I still haven't seen the crash. I still haven't seen the footage of the crash between Verstappen and uh, and Hamilton. But just run us through your day and your thoughts on, on what happened. Well, there. Uh, the reason I wanted to bring it up, actually, for, for our, our listeners is that we were all, as you know, invited to Silverstone. But because you both live, well, and, and well, all of the team live nowhere near the UK currently, none of you could get here. So I went. I, I, I took standard bearer standard as always. bearing the torch for Are You Not Entertained? And uh, we went. Amazing hospitality by Match Hospitality, who were kind enough to invite yeah, thank us Thank you all. to them. Um, yes, thanks, fellas. Yeah, I mean, it really was very special. And uh, my my partner and I, we were. Uh, she's quite a petrol head. I'm not a petrol. I've been to Formula One once, but I know very little, as you know, about it. But we decided the day before we were going to really. Goodness, Jeez. I think there's a thunderstorm in Como. Yeah, no, no. Do you keep going yeah. before the Wi-Fi yeah. goes off? <laughs> um, anyway, we decided to really gen up on everything we could on F1. So we went very well briefed. Um, and having had a particularly fine lunch, I won't go into details, but the menu was sensational. Then we treated to the Red Arrows doing half an hour of proper Red Arrow kind of Top Gun stuff. Pretty cool. Excellent. We then yeah. had the race. And, I mean, to have on that first, it wasn't the first corner, whatever it was, eighth corner, whatever it was, with, with, with the crash... I had no idea. We were in the proper stands. I mean, we had proper petrol heads who were in ferocious debate about what had happened. Those pro-Hamilton, those saying Hamilton absolutely was wrong. And it was kicking off everywhere. And there was a good 20-minute break, so we went back to go and fill our glasses with some Krug or whatever it was. And everybody (laughs) was in just the most... I mean, it was a debate like, uh, God, any contentious penalty, anything that you've seen... And, yeah, yeah. and then obviously there was the 10 second penalty and off they go again, whiz, whiz, whiz around the track. And Hamilton, I think, delivers one of the greatest drives, not that I've ever seen because I haven't seen that many, but to watch him claw back and do mm. what he did in front of a British crowd in the searing heat. It, I've been, we're all been very lucky going to sporting events. That's gone straight onto the podium for me of events I've been to for all sorts Wonderful. of reasons. And I hope very much that you two will be invited next year because we nailed it. <laughs> well, I, your behaviour is going to probably take that. So hopefully we're not, we've been shut out. If you were representing Roger and I, hopefully you've done it the right way. Right. But it, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been so great this year with the Formula One and we've all become fans of it through Drive to Survive, which I think a lot of people have. But just to see um, Verstappen really challenging 
uh, Hamilton and, and Red Bull really giving Mercedes a run for their money. For, for the, a fan of the sport rather than a team or a, a driver, it's been fabulous this year so and far. what really upset me then in the as you always have politicians jumping on on bandwagons is that there was then follow-up saying that christian horner's comments were he was inciting race riot and oh, it was yeah. just such bollocks it, this was nothing bollocks. to do with anything other than two drivers and i don't it doesn't really matter what you think either of them did right or wrong they were on the edge it was france yeah. clamor of formula yeah. one and it something was, had was. to snap, which is obviously opposite given my uh, my Achilles. And it was for that, I'll never forget it, because it was two people at the top of their game giving it everything. It's what sport is, my God. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's exactly right. Well, it's what sport is, is the perfect way to wrap this conversation up. We've reached the end of the hour. I mean, it's been it's been as much fun as it always is. And uh, it's been great for people to get a chance to, to join us live. And, and without... So so far, we haven't made any awful mistakes. Roger hasn't said the stuff that we normally have to edit out. You're all both on your yeah. best behaviour. It's been it's been best remarkable. Behavior. Best behaviour. So oh, look, oh, thanks to just one quick one. Best behaviour. What happened to the drugs test in the Olympics? I want to see if there's going to be six months down the line a whole shit show of people that um, took advantage of no testing. Well, I think that's yeah, one to watch. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Well, look, uh, our thanks to everybody out there watching us. It's been uh, it's been a pleasure to have you with us. Um, uh, do follow us on uh, Twitter if you don't do already. You'll find us uh, at Entertained R. That's the word A-R-E. A big, big, big thank you to our sponsors, Entourage Media, who've done a fantastic job in helping us bring that to Wonderful. you. Wonderful. Thank you, um, guys. Thanks, Sean. Yeah, thank you, Sean, who's in the, in the background there making all the cool stuff happen on the screen. That sort of stuff is all down to Sean. Bless him. Um, you can find me on Twitter if you don't follow me already. Uh, just look for at TTMYGH. And you can find me, Giles Morgan, at GilesMorgan71. And you can find myself at RPM Como, as in the Stormy Lake. <laughs> as in the lake. Not the lake surrounded by all the uh, IOC blazers. The other lake. <laughs> the good lake. Gentlemen, until next time. Bye.